Welcome to the 23rd episode of our podcast series for advisors considering the independent space. Today's episode, how a legacy Merrill team experienced 600% growth in 10 years with special guests Bill Loftus of Coastal Bridge Advisors and Mark DuPont of Focus Financial Partners. This podcast is available on our website, diamond-consultants.com and on wealthmanagement.com, as well as iTunes and other resources. Cheryl Penny, the founder of Dynasty Financial Partners, joined me in our last episode and shared some brilliant insights on the elements driving the momentum toward the independent space, as well as the role that Dynasty Financial Partners, his firm, plays in the success of RIAs. In this episode, we're getting an outside-in look at one of the first firms to double down on the RIA space by becoming a focused financial partner firm 10 years ago. Bill Loftus, founding partner of the $2.4 billion firm Coastal Bridge Advisors, and Mark DuPont, Senior Vice President of Independence and Operations at Focus, joins us. There's a lot to cover, starting with how a firm with $400 million in assets grew to $2.4 billion in assets in just a decade. So let's get right to it. I'm so excited to just jump in. Mark, if you would, Focus Financial Partners has become a household name, a powerhouse actually, in the RIA industry. But for those unfamiliar, how would you describe what the firm does and how it differentiates itself from what's becoming a very competitive marketplace? Sure. So thanks, Mindy. You know, for the past 12 years, we have been unwavering, I would say, in our commitment to investing in entrepreneurs. You know, these folks run some of the finest wealth management firms in this country. And our founders at Focus, I think, saw a fragmented marketplace that needed three things. One was access to capital. Two would be value-added services to help drive growth. And the third was really the ability to create a succession plan for the next generation of these businesses. So what we do is simple. We are essentially cash flow investors aligned side by side with our partner firms, and we help them in their growth efforts. We do this right by not taking control of these businesses, which allows the entrepreneurs to maintain their autonomy and continue to be the lead decision makers at their firm, which is a differentiator and I think is extremely important. But as far as a clear differentiator, in my opinion, is that no firm really threads the needle better across these three areas from capital, value-added growth, and succession planning. And I would attest it's an outstanding solution. And in fact, it's a pretty busy time for focus with the IPO at the end of last month and big plans for the future. So what can you share about those plans and how being a public company affects the overall vision going forward? So for our partners in our firm, it really doesn't change much day to day. You'll hear from our founders and others that, you know, this was the natural next step in our evolution and what has been an amazing journey. But the vision is still steadfast to never turn a successful entrepreneur into an employee. That's our credo. It's above the door. You've heard it before. As for the plans for the future, well, we plan to keep doing a few things really well, which is partnering with top quality wealth management firms by deploying a set of value-added services 
such as marketing support, compliance, strategy consulting, deep operations and technology support, all in an effort to help them grow. We are also going to continue to liberate marquee teams from the wirehouses, an avenue that you're extremely familiar with. And while we are here to serve those two major constituents, we continue to execute on an aggressive inorganic growth strategy on behalf of our partner firms. So Mindy, you know, we truly believe that if we can help our partners attract merger candidates, this will bring them access to an exceptional talent pool of people, otherwise not accessible across the industry. The people at our firms are what culturally makes them so special and unique. Mark, as a follow-up question to that, how did the principles of the firms that are in partnership with Focus, how did Focus's IPO impact them? Well, important part of our model is um, in every transaction that we enter into uh, has always been a form of cash and stock. So it was important that they were all shareholders and, and they would have the same vision as the founders and the enterprise. So they're very much aligned from that respect. But again, from their day-to-day businesses, not much. It doesn't impact their clients any or the value that they're bringing to the table with them. Got it. Bill, that's a natural time to pivot to you. As one of the principles of hugely successful Coastal Bridge Advisors, formerly known as LLBH, that actually joined the Focus family in 2008 and was actually probably one of the original marquee breakaway teams to do so, you really did it. You broke away at a time before it was really in vogue to go independent. Love to hear from you. What was behind the decision to make the leap at the time? Well, Mindy, first of all, thank you for having me on today, and it's always great to uh, share the mic with my good friend Mark. You know, it really at the time, when you think back to when we went independent, it was 2008. We had a little something called the global credit crisis and financial crisis at the time, and we actually became an independent firm on October 17th, 2008. So it was right in the middle of the interesting time, shall we say. I think it was three things that really drove our decision. And it started for us probably prior to 2008, back in 2007. First, we felt very restricted on the types of things, products and services that we could offer our clients at Merrill. Merrill was obviously very interested in selling Merrill Lynch services and Merrill Lynch investment products. And for us, that just wasn't sufficient. Secondly, I think there was a sort of innate feeling on the part of our clients and our part as well that clients were suspicious about whether or not they were getting the best independent and objective advice. And we really wanted to be able to serve them in a manner that they desired and really a manner in which we'd want to be a client of that kind of firm. And I think lastly, it was the notion that we were very entrepreneurial in our own right. We felt like always inside Merrill had a a distinct process. Uh, We had a serious commitment to financial planning, a serious commitment to service. We'd always had a saying amongst our team that Ty didn't go to the home team, meaning that we always looked for investment solutions outside of Merrill Lynch. So we really were kind of running our business at the time as an independent firm anyway. And we decided to memorialize it by leaving Merrill and starting our own firm in 2008 with the help of Focus. Okay, why Focus? When we looked at our options, and again, it's 2008, so it was a very different landscape than it is today, you saw that you had several different ways in which you could go. One, you could set up a business on your own and do all the things that are required to set up that business. And we were running a big business at Merrill Lynch at the time. We didn't feel that we had the bandwidth 
and the attention span to really go out and do it on our own because you know you have to go out and find real estate you've got to assess technology and make decisions there you've got to hire a law firm you've got to hire an accounting firm you've got to put in place insurance programs and benefit programs for your employees just a, an amazing amount of work that's required to set up your own business and we came to the conclusion that we needed some firm to help us navigate through all these very sophisticated and challenging topics. And Focus came recommended to us by a dear friend of ours who had gone independent with Focus several years prior. We met the team. We felt the team was better than any other team we looked at in terms of their execution. We thought they understand the business, our business model best. We were particularly impressed with the fact that they were going to let us run our business so we could make the determination of who we, our, our law firm would be. You know, in help, of course, in conjunction with them, we could hire a compliance team. We could work with any custodian we wanted to work with. We could go out and put together any investment platform that we wanted to put in place, any reporting platform. So Focus would help us sort through the options but at the end of the day, they were our options. And so we felt we, like we had 100% independence and really we could really build this firm from scratch in the manner that we wanted to build it. Most of the other firms we talked to were quasi-independent and they would put restrictions in terms of who you could actually work with. And for us, it felt like just sort of a independence light, if you will. And for us, it really wasn't tenable. So... Coastal Bridge has had extraordinary growth in the past decade. You tell me that you were managing almost a billion dollars when you left Maryland 08, at the time chose to jettison the institutional business. And so 90 days after your launch, you were sitting with about 400 million in private client assets. And today, Coastal Bridge manages about 2.4 billion with an average client size of about 10 million and three office locations. So that's amazing. Aside from hard work, what factors do you think are most responsible for that growth? I think it's, it starts with great people. We have phenomenal people inside our firm. And a number of the people inside our firm have been with us from the very beginning. So we've had people or they came shortly after we became an independent firm. So it's incredible people who are very, very committed, who come to work every day looking to delight clients and make a difference in our clients' lives. So that's where it starts. And they're not only do they work well with clients, but they work well with each other. I mean, they're all about teaching each other, collaborating with each other, uh, rooting for each other. And that's where it all starts. If you walk into our office, the thing that will absolutely impress you is, is just the buzz in our office. It's a teaching session. It's a collaboration with each other on some service items. It's high-fiving each other when they do a great job. And so it's, it's infectious. So that's the first thing. The second thing is we have, no pun intended, a very focused practice. You have a well-defined process. Every client goes through this process. We are keenly interested in providing a very, very holistic and sound financial plan for our clients. So every client understands exactly at the point of engagement what they're going to get. And I think that's so critical. And because of the intense planning process that we have, we're keenly aware of every facet of our client's life. So we become, really, we become the trusted advisor. And in some cases, our clients have multiple advisors, but 
in almost every case when that occurs, we sort of take the lead. We become the advisor of the advisors, and that's important. And th th I think the third thing is that because of our independence and our ability to look for solutions everywhere or anywhere, we continually come up with incredibly creative solutions that you can't find in other places. So whether it's tax structures that we provide for our clients, or if it's offshore custodianship, or if it's interesting investment products, they're just not seeing it at, at our competitors, whether it's a Goldman Sachs or JP Morgan or Bessemer. It's just, uh, they're not getting it anywhere else. So I think those three things have really been contributing factors. Yeah. Do you think that you could have experienced that kind of growth if you had stayed at Merrill? I don't. And for the three reasons I just outlined, I think, number one, I don't think we'd have the collegiality, uh, the joie de vivre, if you will, um, that our team experiences. I think they'd feel like they were working for Merrill Lynch and not for a common cause at Coastal Bridge. And secondly, I think that we would be limited in our process by, frankly, the limited planning products that you saw at Merrill Lynch for example. So they just are far inferior to what we offer our clients and not nearly granular enough. And then lastly, I think we'd be hindered in our ability to work with outside providers. You know, we don't believe that the best trust in the state attorney, and this is no knock against anybody at Merrill Lynch, you know, resides inside a, a wirehouse. So we actually go out and find the best attorneys, the best investment bankers, the best insurance people, etc. And it's this quality of the network is so superior to what you're going to find inside a, a bank or a brokerage firm that they're consistently providing cutting-edge solutions for our clients. I don't think that happens if we stay at Merrill. But that raises an interesting question, and it's a question that I think a lot of wirehouse advisors have, which is, okay, interesting, but I feel like I don't have enough bandwidth or capacity to do everything I need to do well as an employee. Now you're telling me, aside from running my business and serving my clients, I also need to go out and source solutions. So how easily accessible, or maybe said a better way, how much work is it? How hard is it to go out and source these best-in-class investment bankers, estate attorneys, alternative providers, et cetera? The short answer is it's far easier today than it was 10 years ago. <laughs> I think the world has sort of come around to the idea that, you know, to quote Hillary Clinton, it takes a village. I think that the what you have today is the walls have come down and firms in legal, accounting, investment banking, private equity are far more interested in working with registered investment advisor than they were maybe 10 or 15 years ago. So it's become much, much easier. And then you have Focus, for example. I mean, Focus has built a tremendous network. They've got, I don't know how many partner firms now. It's probably up around you know, 60. And so there's a tremendous amount of IP and network collaboration that's been um, memorialized. And, and so you can always access the Focus network to, to find these people as well. So it's not as hard as it was, but it does take a little bit of work and creativity. But I can tell you that when you do that, when you actually go out and find the best providers, your clients are delighted and it has a materially positive impact on your business. Yeah, I bet. So you had mentioned to me that you really define yourself as a multifamily office. Can you just take a minute and describe to us what your value proposition is today, how you describe Coastal Bridge to your clients or prospect? Sure. So that's exactly right. We actually call ourselves a virtual family office. And the way that came about, it was 
back in 2009 when we sort of decided to adopt this model, we noticed that a number of family offices post-2008 were breaking up. And they were breaking up because of the you know, extraordinary costs that were involved, the logistical issues about running a business, the fact that a lot of the founders just couldn't rationalize having employees and worrying about you know the day-to-day -day things like insurance and compliance and things like that. And so we came up with this model where we effectively replicate everything that could potentially happen inside a family office. So investment management, legal, accounting, investment banking, private equity, compliance, reporting, philanthropy. And we, we call it the virtual family office model. And so what our value proposition is we'll go to a family, a very sophisticated family, and we'll say, look, you can build it on your own, and this is what's going to cost you. Or you can let us build it for you, and we'll be a variable cost and not a fixed cost. And you can access only what you need, and we can grow with you over time. And it, it's a compelling value proposition for clients. They feel because of our, you know, the amount of uh, coverage they get, the fact that we have sort of, it's, I think it's one professional for every six families. So they feel as if they've got their own family office relationship manager and access to all these tremendous services, but they don't have the inherent costs involved or the, you know, make the long-term commitment to the model. So it's, it's compelling for them. Yeah, very compelling. But here's a question for you. How distracting to your business was preparing for the move to independence back 10 years ago, pre-break? Well, we had a big business at Merrill, and we had clients that we were very committed to, and we had to service every day. So this gets back to where we decided to go with Focus, because we felt that we could make a commitment in conjunction with another firm who was guiding us to go independent, but we couldn't make the commitment to do it all on our own. I think if you're choosing to do it on your own, it's a full-time job. As a matter of fact, I know some firms that have done it on their own, and they've actually had one full-time employee who was putting everything together, kind of doing what Focus did for us. So if you're going to do it on your own, it's, it's a very, very big job, and I think overwhelming. If you're going to do it with a firm like a Focus that's done this probably a hundred times, and I think it's gotten the execution really right, you can actually do it. It's not as daunting as it seems. You have to be available to meet with providers. You've got to be able to you know, make decisions in a timely fashion, but they've got a template and a process that's, that's clearly defined and uh, can definitely get you over the finish line in a timely fashion without too much of a commitment on your part. Okay, so that seems like a good time to pivot to you, Mark. So Mark, you've been with Focus now for about seven years. As the operations guy and someone who helps build nascent RIA firms under the Focus umbrella, can you tell us what's involved in the process, sort of that template that Bill refers to? Sure. I think Bill described it perfectly. And as I often say, it starts out as an educational process for both of us. The prospective client will want to understand their options for going independent. And it's our job to really listen and bring that vision to life. So we first create for them a P&L to compare what their practice at the wirehouse looks like today versus what it could look like as an independent RIA. And I'll tell you, Mindy, this is usually an eye-opening experience for them since they are no longer charged what I refer to as the wirehouse tax. 
and they actually have a business with operating leverage for the first time. Since an RIAs typically run at such better margins than your average FA in the captive space, at that point, if we can get a prospect over the mental hurdle of actually leaving, then the rest falls into place nicely. We have a team that quarterbacks the process to build your firm from scratch. We do everything as Bill referenced from the real estate setup to the custodian choice to technology systems and infrastructure right down to the policies and procedures of your new compliance manual. And, you know, we are on site for weeks, sometimes months during the actual transition, which we enjoy. You know, we live in these towns and become embedded in the social and cultural fabric of, of the firm. So after a number of months, our team is it's more like a family. Uh, all in all, you know, when you're working with us, you know, you will have a lead point of contact at Focus and around five other people from legal, marketing, finance and relationship management backgrounds working side by side to really inevitably launch your new firm. Can you guesstimate about how much time it takes to build a quality RIA firm? And I'm saying that is going from being an employee at a traditional brokerage firm to planting the flag of independence. Sure. I would say four to five months, and, and I caveat this, uh, you know, we typically start the planning process by selecting a target resignation date and working backwards from that point. So four to five months is what I would say to go independent and have a fully functioning registered RIA with your own real estate. You know, of course, we have on occasion been able to do this in a matter of weeks if needed. But I think it's because I truly believe we have the finest team in the industry. They just have a certain patina about them that comes with age and experience in doing so many of these lift outs. You know, the, the core of our team has been together for well over a decade. Mm hmm. So. Mark, you again, there are so many wirehouse advisors that believe that independence is where they want to be, but they're really worried about the impact that disruption to momentum during planning and transition would have on their business. Do you think that's valid? So we hear this a lot. It's a valid question, but I don't believe it is a concern. And to echo what Bill said, 10 years ago, it was different, right? Now things are much easier to leave as it's more turnkey. I've been saying for years since I've been here that our biggest competitor is inertia in that part of the space, which is the FA just sitting back in his or her desk and doing nothing or taking the retirement package at the wirehouse. That's always going to be there. During the transition, if you were to ask any of our firms, we lifted out like Bill here, you know, how much time it took in the planning on his part. You know, I think he'd tell you it's a commitment of, as I boil it down to one hour per week on a call and about two half days of on-site planning during this process. Where I would differentiate and say is the lion's share of the work is on the staff in preparing what they legally can for the move. I think that's it, end of story, to put some timeframes around it for, for folks. No, that's really helpful. So Bill, what message would you give to prospective breakaways? So advisors still sitting at a wirehouse or other traditional brokerage firm who are intrigued by what independence stands for? Because, I mean, let's face it, unlike 10 years ago when you moved, today, every conversation we have with an advisor always centers around what does it mean to be independent and who wouldn't want more freedom, flexibility, and control? But in the end, it's not for everyone. But if you're talking to those that are intrigued by what it means, but fearful of the unknown, what would you say to them? I think the first thing I'd say is you can do it. It's so much better. 
I come to work every day and I'm bouncing off walls. I've never been so happy professionally in my life. I really got a second wind, frankly, when I went independent. It has been the culmination of over 30 years in the business and I can't believe I waited so long to do it, quite frankly. Now that said, what steps should one take? I think the first step you have to take is to really take a good look at your business. Understand who your clients are, understand your team makeup, understand what your clients want, what they're asking for. You know, are they asking for things that they can't get inside the wirehouse? Are more conversations than not things like, oh gee, we can't do that. We're restricted from doing that. And what are the reasons behind that? Oftentimes there's no good reason other than just, you know, we always say that firms have to always manage to the lowest common denominator. So you may have a really high quality advisor who's restricted from doing things because the compliance department at a firm decides that it makes no sense for everyone to do it. So understand who your clients are, understand their, their sophistication level, really listen to what they're asking for, and make that determination. Is it matching up with the services and products that you're fighting at your own firm? If the answer to that is no, then you've got to consider independence because more often than not, you can actually provide these products and services in the independent world. And then I think the second thing is you have to ask yourself, am I really up for this challenge of being an entrepreneur? Being an employee is easier. You're spoon fed. Being an entrepreneur means you can't blame the office manager for whatever has happened in your life that day. You have to assume responsibility when you have employee issues. You've got to assume responsibility for vendor issues. Your name is on the door. It's your reputation. So these are all really, really important things. But if the answer to these questions are, I'm not getting what I need at the firm, you know, number one. Number two, my clients aren't happy. And more often than not, I'm making excuses for the delivery rather than delighting them. Thirdly, gee, I really feel like an entrepreneur. I don't feel like an employee. And finally, if you want to be happier and more fulfilled in this business than you've ever been in your life, then I would say that independence is the right option. I think that that's really well said, and thank you. You know, it's interesting. I met yesterday with a top advisor, generates about $3 million or so in annual revenue, working at a wirehouse, probably managed about $400 million or so in fee-based assets. And this advisor said, I would love to go independent. Everything you talked about is would be very appealing to him. But they're part of their private wealth unit of their firm. So their clients are ultra high net worth like yours. And of the belief that sophisticated clients really rely upon a name brand, that the name brand and the access to the sophisticated solutions that these clients need are the hallmark of the major firms, solely owned by the major firms. And I know you don't agree with that, but what would you say to that advisor? I'd say that uh, the proof is in the pudding, as they say. Look at our firm, for example. We've grown by 700% in 10 years. What's that compounded growth rate? I mean, it's got to be close to 20 plus percent. How many teams inside wirehouses are growing at that level? Number one. Number two, our clients are probably, you know, among the most sophisticated clients you'd ever find. I mean, they're entrepreneurs, they're CEOs of companies. Their needs are very, very complicated. And we are able to solve their needs and delight them, which is something that most wirehouse teams can't do. And thirdly, 
I would say to who are your clients? If your clients are entrepreneurs, if they're people who have actually gone out, set up a business, taken a risk, learned how to put something together, how to build something, if that's your client, then doesn't wouldn't your client respect the fact that you did something like that for them? To me, it's just so simple. It's just look at how who your most successful clients are and replicate what they do and provide an investment platform, an investment process for them that replicates the way that they live their life and really become their trusted advisor rather than a wirehouse employee. Yeah, but you know, it's interesting. I think that you're absolutely right, but I think that the real truth is that not every advisor has entrepreneurial DNA. And a lot of times those that don't they may be intrigued by independence because who wouldn't be intrigued by having more freedom and the value creation by building equity. But at the end of the day, that advisor, and it was my instincts in, in speaking to him, is just not that entrepreneurial. And I think the excuses I rely on a name brand or my ultra high net worth clients need access to things only my firm could provide. And so I think your point earlier was you've got to have entrepreneurial DNA. It's got to be in your soul because now you're suddenly responsible for things that you're used to being spoon-fed. So let me pivot for a second and ask both of you to a little bit about the role as Focus Financial as investor. I think that most prospective RIAs would agree that hiring a firm to turnkey the build of it is essential, but many wonder if it's worth the ongoing expense post-launch of either paying for a service provider or selling equity in perpetuity, as is the focus model. So I'd love to hear your thoughts, both of you actually, about the value add that a firm like Focus brings to the table once an RIA is established, and then past the first six months. And why don't we start with you, Mark, because, you know, as an employee of Focus? Sure. You know, it's a fair question. We hear this from time to time. Uh, for us, it's simple. As I said earlier, we are cash flow investors and equity ownership is an essential part of our model. So it's not for everyone. We have always said when it comes to our value add services and especially our inorganic growth programs, we have done many mergers on behalf of our firms and having an equity partner that is putting over 70 resources at the holding company to work for you to boost your growth is pretty unique. And that comes with a price. You just look at the Colony Group to name one of Bill's peers, you know, since our partnering with them, you know, in 2012, after multiple mergers, they have 11 offices, 140 people, great sustained growth. It's a really neat story. As I think about post two years, five years out, really valid question. I look at it as we have to add value all along the spectrum, whether it's in operations and technology, whether it's the sourcing of more mergers, strategic planning, succession planning, or in just best practices around preparing for an SHC examination, really the power of the network to what Bill was referencing earlier. I'll give you a real tangible you know, instance here. Uh, with Bill's firm, 10 years later, we are engaged deeply this month, actually, in looking at a total infrastructure assessment and a, maybe a potential upgrade in their back office systems. You know, the fintech world has changed dramatically since Bill launched Coastal Bridge in 2008. And the tools available to meet their growing ultra high net worth client base, you know, demand he, demand us to, to look further at continuing to evolve and enhance their platform offering to achieve that deepest integration 
and the most sophisticated state-of-the-art infrastructure for these clients, because that's what it's about at the end of the day. When a firm undertakes a project like this, whether it's two, three, four years out, they usually want our perspective because, again, we have a bird's eye view of the way many of these successful companies run day to day on a very similar infrastructure. Our firms do enjoy access to our project management expertise, our enterprise pricing that we bring to the table, and to sometimes be able to just pick up the phone and hear in plain speak how past implementations have gone, which is something you, you just don't get on a reference call. It's truly at that point, the holistic power of the network uh, working to your benefit. Yeah, as a true partner. So Bill, let me ask you, was it worth it? Was it a good decision to have sold a portion of equity 10 years ago? And does it continue to be a good decision 10 years later? Uh, I would say so. Again, our growth is the primary uh, data point I think you need to look at. It's We have grown by 700% in AUM. Uh, we've grown by close to 600% in revenues and earnings. You know, we've grown primarily organically. So we have grown from seven people when we first became an independent firm with one location to 21 people with three locations. I think we'll probably end up over the next couple of years adding at least one or two more locations. So we'll be truly a national firm. You know, I think we'll probably do some acquisitions if we can find teams that make sense and, and see the world the way we do. So Focus has been instrumental in making all that happen. They were there from the beginning. They set us up the right way. They permitted us to really be different. I think we were maybe at one time the one of the few firms that, that chose Pershing as custodian rather than Fidelity or, or Schwab. You know, they endorsed that because they thought it was right for our team. Uh, we've had different technology than a lot of the other focus firms, but they, they endorsed that. They understood that we were different. They understood that we had a, a different value proposition than most firms, and they helped us really accentuate that and accelerate that. And so it's, look, it's tough selling equity. There's no doubt about it. And sometimes you look back and you say, gee, what if I didn't do that? But the reality would be that we wouldn't have grown nearly at the rate we've grown at. And I think we'd probably end up being in the same place. So, and that's without doing acquisitions. And I think that one of the keys to the focus model, Mark mentioned Colony. Colony has grown primarily through acquisitions. So we look at focus not only as being our, you know, our, our HR consultant, our operations consultant, our technology consultant. We also look at them as potentially being our bank when we do acquisitions. We look at them as being um, incredibly important to the longevity of the firm because my partners and I don't want a coastal bridge to end when we retire. We want this firm to live on for many, many years so that we've got our great people can become, you know, the future owners. Focus is going to play a big role in that. So they are very instrumental in our growth. And I think if I had to do it over again, I'd do it over again the same way. What a great answer. So many industry pundits say that selling equity is the most expensive form of financing. And as I listen to both of you, it seems pretty clear that Focus's job is to prove to a prospective breakaway that they would grow faster with them than without them. But how would you respond to the notion, and Mark, I'll ask you this, how would you respond to the notion that selling equity is an expensive form of financing? I would say that, you know, I have yet to see a successful alternative to create an RIA firm that is truly transformative 
at an enterprise level of the ilk of some of our companies without taking on an equity partner. Many of those that have tried have a bank line that eventually gets tapped out before they hit that glass ceiling in their growth. So at the very least, they usually look to sell a portion of their business to a P investor group or some other sources. Um, we see this quite a bit. I guess I asked the question partly because 10 years ago when, when Coastal Bridge launched, there was no such thing as service providers. So that if a breakaway team wanted help to turn key, not only the transition, but deal with the whole execution and support and HR consultancy and practice management and technology and all of it. Focus was largely, I don't want to say the only game in town, but certainly the best game in town. But I would say now with Dynasty and Hightower as top service providers and the notion that an advisor can actually get access to that kind of consultancy without having to sell equity. Mark, how would you respond to that? Those are different models for someone that is looking for, I would say, an independence light experience. A platform model is fundamentally different. While I think those models are fine and it's a direction you could take, for us, the value add we're bringing beyond the setup speaks volumes, especially in the growth programs, especially the, the merger activity, which I find that others really can't keep up with our kind of expertise and our track record there. I think that's a big differentiator. Bill, let me ask you, so what's next for Coastal Bridge? Like, what do you think the next five to 10 years look like? I mean, you looked about, you mentioned we want to make sure we're building a firm that supersedes or succeeds us after we retire, but what does it look like the next five to 10 years? Great question. I'm going to answer it um, by sort of bifurcating it. Let's talk about it from a qualitative assessment. Number one, we're going to continue our commitment to building out the virtual family office. We're going to continue to refine the services, the model and the products and the sort of the network that we can provide to a client. We want it to be second to none. So that's going to be a major, major focus for us. Second thing we're going to do is we're going to invest in our people. We're going to make sure that we've got the best team in the country. We're going to educate them. We're going to not only educate them on products and services, but we're going to work with them on just interacting with each other and becoming more efficient and effective with each other. And then finally, we are going to commit to maintain a very, very high level of sophistication for our clients, working with only the best advisors and bringing cutting-edge solutions, and I mean really cutting-edge solutions to them that they're not seeing anywhere else. So that's a qualitative piece. The quantitative piece is probably going to look, as I mentioned, more like a national firm. So we will have, we already have locations in San Francisco and Los Angeles. I'm fairly certain we'll, we'll do something in South Florida, maybe in the uh, Palm Beach or Miami area, or perhaps in the West Coast of Florida. And I wouldn't be shocked if we had something in Texas or somewhere in the middle of the country. So we'll have a national footprint. We will have, hard to say what our headcount's gonna look like. I'm more interested in the right people than many people. In terms of acquisitions, we're actively looking for and talking to very sophisticated wirehouse and private bank advisors. And, you know, we think we've got a platform that is second to none in the independent space. So hopefully we'll be able to attract those kind of people who are looking to really raise their game and can really appreciate the importance of independence uh, to their clients. So acquisitions will play a role. And in terms of 
assets under management. I mean, a goal we talk about a lot here is 10 billion in, in AUM. I think it's just sort of a something to say. You know, it's a nice goal. It's not what keeps us up at night, but it's a nice goal to have. But it sounds like you'll get there. My money is on you. <laughs> if you've if you've experienced 700% growth, which is extraordinary in 10 years, I can only imagine what you'll do in the next 10. Well, thank you. So as a final question for both of you, of course, what do you think the future of the RIA industry as a whole looks like? I mean, Mark, for you, what message do you think the focus IPO, that is, sends to the industry as a whole? And Bill, do you expect the momentum in the breakaway movement to continue? So let's start with you first, Mark. I think the IPO was a credentializing event for the industry and a real validation of our business model that, that Rudy, Lenny, and Regini sketched out on their kitchen tables many years ago. We are pleased to embark on the next phase of the, of the focus story, really. And uh, the industry, for the first time, has a closer proxy now than it ever has before, one that's not an asset manager or a retail brokerage custodian of some sort. So I hope that um, our pioneering effort here will actually cause others to think about building their own RIAs. Um, we're very excited about that. As far as the RA industry as a whole and the breakaway movement, I'll make a comment on that. I, I believe that the RIA industry will do well because the fiduciary model will keep winning. When we look back, I believe the fiduciary model will be on the right side of history. The breakaway movement, in my opinion, will continue to play out and even ramp up. Have you seen many larger teams starting to leave? Um, we have to take into account that the last 12 months have been a bit different due to the broker protocol changes, which you've, which you've covered. Um, but may I remind us that you know, long before the protocol came to fruition, there were thousands of departures. So our team sees this as an opportunity to leverage really new state-of-the-art technologies and processes to assist in non-protocol departures for our prospective clients, So, which we, we expect to see a lot more of. Yeah, great. Bill, what's your perspective on that? Do you think the momentum will continue? I do. But before I answer that, I want to make one quick comment on the just the investment business in general. My view is that I agree with Mark. I think the fiduciary model is really going to be the way to go for firms and be interesting to see how the wirehouses and the private banks deal with that. But beyond that, I think you need to, with the onset of robo-advice and artificial intelligence and just sort of the rise of uh, a new investor class, you know, uh, millennials, uh, whatever the next iteration is, I, I think you better be very, very special at what you do. You better be really thinking about the value that you bring to the table every single day. And it better be a lot more interesting than just sort of generic asset allocation and traditional investment management. You better put a big premium on service. You better put a big premium on process. You better put a big premium on bringing you know, cutting edge solutions to clients that make a real impactful difference in their life. So I'll get off my soapbox now about that. As far as the RA world is concerned, the, the breakaway world is concerned, I've been saying for a while, you know, that we're in the second and third inning, and I expect that we'll accelerate to the sixth or seventh inning, to use a baseball analogy. It hasn't happened yet, but I do expect it to happen. And I can tell you that I still have a number of friends who live inside wirehouses, they're not getting happier. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. they're telling me that things are getting more restrictive and that they're feeling frustrated. I think ultimately 
that will translate into more and more people understanding that independence is now a kind of a mainstream event, that a lot of the objections that they've had in the past, such as, you know, can I actually find the best investment managers? Can I align myself with the best professionals who can deliver services to my clients? You know, is the technology better in the independent world versus the, uh, the broker world? The answers to all these things are yes. Yes, you can. And yes, they are. And I think as that becomes more and more apparent, you're going to find a number of high quality advisors leaving the wired house world and going into the independence world. And it's going to be a good thing. It's going to be a very good thing because the winner is going to be the investor, the investing public, because they are now going to be able to be served by the best people. And there are many fantastic people living inside these organizations in a manner that they want to be served. So that's going to be the big story. When we're sitting here 10 years, 10 years from now, and hopefully I'm doing another podcast with you, we'll be looking back and saying, that's been the big story of the last 10 years. Well, that's great feedback. Guys, I could keep going all day because this was really, really wonderful. Bill, I'm going to hold you to it 10 years from now. You're going to be my guest on another podcast, so thank you. Okay. I thank you both so, so much, and I think that everyone will find this conversation to be super productive and beneficial. Mandy, I want to thank you for uh, setting this up and inviting me and having Mark and I on today. It's, uh, it's always a pleasure to reconnect with you, and thank you for all that you're doing for the industry. Thank you, Mindy. Thanks. As Bill so aptly put it, the walls have come down. And today, best-in-class providers are very interested in working with independent advisors. While not every RIA firm grows 600% in 10 years, independence is responsible for exponentially accelerated growth in most cases. In our next episode, I'll be joined by David Cantor, Executive Vice President and Head of the RIA segment at Fidelity Clearing and Custody Solutions. It'll be a great opportunity to better understand the role of the custodian in a move to independence. But what's even more intriguing is that David's experience makes him uniquely positioned to share some real inside baseball when it comes to the mindset and motivation behind some of the hottest moves to the independent space. This is an episode you don't want to miss. Until then, I encourage you to visit our website, diamond-consultants.com, and click on the tools and resources link for valuable content. And if you're not already a recipient of our weekly email, Perspectives for Advisors, click on the blog link to browse recent articles. You can feel free to email me or call if you have specific questions. I can be reached at 908 879 1002 or mdiamond at diamond-consultants.com. Please note that all requests are handled with complete discretion and confidentiality. I thank you for listening. I also want to thank wealthmanagement.com for sharing this podcast with their viewers and subscribers. This is Mindy Diamond on Independence. Independence.